Good morning, and as you are sitting, uh, we want to welcome everyone at church, all of you joining online. We want to welcome you. If you are home because of uh, health or any other issues, you know, we really want to welcome you today and uh, want you to be blessed. Um, for those of us who are here, uh, let me encourage you to say, you know, welcome to church to someone next to you that you didn't come with and say hi to someone next to you. Let's welcome one another to church today. I want to welcome everyone, and um, as uh, John mentioned, you know, for the month of February, we're going to be doing a devotion all together. Last month was so good, uh, going through Psalms, and hopefully you went through all 31 days or most of it. Uh, we're going to do Colossians, and so for the whole month, we're going to be going through Colossians. This is a pretty simple guide on how to use it. And then on every Wednesday, as John mentioned, at 7.30, we're going to have a little Bible study on Zoom. Whoever wants to come in, this is open to everyone. And if you're, you know, you don't like the way you look that night, you could turn your camera off. That's fine. You could listen in. If you want to have a discussion, you could ask questions. Um, but we're going to just gather this way. So those of you with little ones at home, maybe mom could take a break. Um, you know, let me encourage you. Right? Get off of that phone for a little bit to focus on the word. Um, you know, go hide out for 30, 40 minutes to, to concentrate on that. So take one or two or whatever with you. We want to master the book of Colossians this month. All right, we want to know it well. And then as John mentioned also, our community groups are starting up this week. And so if you're not in one, you're kind of curious, you're not sure. Some people, you know, I don't want to sit in a circle with a lot of weird people um, perfect, right? Uh, there's no one weird at Crossway, so it's perfect. Um, no, but uh, uh, it's a great time to, to, to jump in and just to get to do life together. And it's not so much what you're going to learn. You might say, I have enough friends, I, you know, that's fine. But it's what you bring to the others, what you bring to the group. And you now are a blessing. And so don't withhold that blessing, please. Um, to do life together is a true blessing. And so if you're interested today, Pastor John will be outside. You could email uh, or you can go and talk to him. All right. And uh, we want to get you plugged in. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, we're continuing to trek through Genesis and we get to a part where God encounters Jacob. God comes to him in a dream. And in this dream, he has a picture a vision of a ladder that goes all the way to heaven and angels are coming up and down, ascending and descending on this ladder or staircase or whatever it is. He comes to him in a dream. And so what we see here uh, today is we're going to see kind of Jacob's despair, his pitiful situation. The second thing we're going to see is God's grace. So you have someone who is in a pitiful, rock-bottom situation, and then you have the God of all grace coming to him. And this is really a story about us. Jacob is us, and God came to us. And so we're going to take a look at this. Now, last week we looked at Jacob. He, he deceived his whole family. Uh, he deceived everyone to get this blessing. And you look back on the whole chapter and the whole story in 27, not once does he acknowledge God. Here is Jacob. Here is the one who is going to be the patriarch, the descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And eventually, Jesus Christ was going to be born through him. And then, 
here he is. And you would think he would acknowledge God. He would pray. He would think about God. Not one mention. He is conniving. He is, one commentator calls him a, a crook. He cons his own brother twice. He cons his aging father who cannot see. He is aging and disabled and he cons him. He will eventually con his future father-in-law twice. And so you see a life of a crook. And because of what he did last week, he ends up in a rock-bottom place. Literally, he is sleeping on a rock. He is banished from his family. Now, this is the situation he's in. His brother wants to kill him. His mother says, you better run. And he is on the run. His father says, you better go. Go to your mother's side of the family somewhere. Get out of town. So he leaves home, Beersheba, and he goes to Haran. Some have estimated it's four or five hundred miles away. He is alone. He is ostracized. He is scared. He has no one around him. He is going, never been, but oh. It's not like he can Google it and go find a place to stay and eat. He's going to a place, and the journey itself is scary, and he's going to go to a place he knows nothing much about. Nothing much about. And now he has nothing. He is asleep. As the sun has gone down, he just lays on the side of his journey, and he goes to sleep. To the point, it's interesting because he lays his head on a stone. I don't know about you, but uh, maybe the older I get, when I travel and I go to a hotel, and I complain about their pillows all the time, right? I hate big, fluffy pillows. And I judge it by the pillow. I'm like, oh my gosh, my neck and my back. And I'm like, why did I, why am I paying money to sleep on this pillow? It feels like a rock, right? We might say, he, he's literally sleeping on a stone. And then God encounters him. He has this dream. He has two dreams. It's here and then on his way back after his time with Laban later on. And the second dream we know is when he wrestles with God. Here he has his first dream and God comes to him in his dream. And he has a, a picture of now a ladder going to heaven. Um, we see in this encounter the grace of God. We see in this encounter a story of how God has approached each and every one of us here. It is all by his grace. And his grace it starts with his, number one, his initiative. The God who initiates contact. Not once did Jacob say, God, can you help me now? God, can you forgive me now? God, I want to acknowledge you. Can you bless me now? He never asks for it. Chapter 27, chapter 20, he never asks but God comes to him. Verse 12, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on. So God appears to him in his dream. It's almost as if he had to wait till he slept to get his attention. It's interesting, right? Think about it. If you were in God's shoes... And you were going to send a dream to this crook, this guy who ripped off his own father, who stole from his own brother, 
who is running around in the name of God yet not acknowledging God, what kind of ladder would you, where would your ladder go, right? If I were to send one to him, I would send a ladder that went straight down, down to a hot place. And the devil is like, come on, come on down. And I would say, that, that might wake him up. And all of us would say, yeah, that makes more sense. That's what he deserves. But the grace of God says it's a ladder that goes up. And there's no demons. The devil is not in this dream. It is God and the angels ascending and descending. It's a ladder going up. God initiates contact with him. In any, uh, in any situation, really, the offender is the one that's expected to go and apologize first. And you've probably had a situation, a social thing, or a friend that might have hurt your feelings or said something, and you found out, and you're talking to your buddy, your third party, and you're talking about them, and they didn't invite you, they said this about you, and you're saying, what should I do? And they say, what are you going to do? All of us would say, well, they could come to me first. Right? They messed up first. They could come to me. I'm not going to them. And we might hold on to that, and some of us might be holding on to that. I read a story just recently of a man who waited... This happened in Thailand. He waited 50 years till the age of 69. His 50-year high school reunion, he had a grudge against his bully. He went and confronted him. He brought a gun and shot him. 50 years. Yet we'd say, oh, man, the bully, maybe he should have apologized. Maybe the offender should have apologized. In any case, it is the offender that is expected to go and say, hey, I'm so sorry. In this case, Jacob should have approached God and said, God, I am so sorry. I've put myself into this mess. I have made my family so dysfunctional. Lord, would you forgive me? God, I have not ignored. He would have. He should have. He is ignoring God. He is defiant. He's a crook. He's looking for an opportunity. And it is in the midst of this that now God approaches him. And he sees him. And he waits till the moment that he is very passive. It's almost like he was running around defiant. He was so busy in his life. He had to wait till he was asleep. How did he sleep on a stone? I think it's God let him, made him sleep a deep sleep. It's interesting. Adam was put in a deep sleep by God when he created Eve from his side. Um, Abraham was put into a, quote-unquote, a deep sleep by God when the covenant was cut between the two, when the covenant had happened. And here again, it is in his sleep that God approaches him. It's the time when we are quiet. It's the time that we are still. We have become a people so crazy about being busy. There were certain studies done that talked about how busy we are and how we are never still before anything, especially before God. Um, one study showed that uh, uh, holiday cards and letters referred to the phrase crazy schedules. Oh, it's been a crazy, busy year. My kids have been so busy. We've been doing soccer and violin and, boy, and business and traveling. And now it has become the good thing. It has become the positive thing. And so since the 60s, no one used to use that. And now they say so many people talk about that. There was a book in, the, in 1899. Um, the title of the book is The Theory of the Leisure Class. And basically the book said back then, to show off your wealth, you would say, I have nothing to do. 
I am resting, I am relaxing, I am on the beach, I have nothing to do. And that was looked upon as something that was honorable, something that was envied by many. But today's society, it has completely changed, especially here in America, that we see the concept of busyness, being connected, being relevant, being influential as the thing that matters. And so oftentimes you will hear someone and you talk to, hey, how you been? Oh, I've been so busy. Because it's their way, it's our way of saying, I'm important, I'm needed, I'm relevant. Oh, I've been so busy, I've been so tired. Humble brag, humble brag, humble brag, right? Oh, man, I have so many people keep calling me, want to take me out. And so many, so many people at work are asking me stuff. And I've been just bogged down with so much other things. We get caught up in the bus- busyness, and yet we have to pause. Acknowledge God. And maybe you're not, you're not running around like a crook like Jacob was. But yet Jacob was hustling and he was running around because he wanted to get ahead. He wanted to get the next thing. And maybe there is a similarity there. And it is at this point we have to learn to pause. You know, the late Dr. Dallas Willard was asked, what is a, the biggest enemy of our spiritual growth? And this is what he had told and famously said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Hurry. You ever try to talk to someone and you could tell they're not even paying attention to you? Because they got to go. They're important. They have a meeting. They have a Zoom call. They got to go talk to someone. And you just want to sit. Love, relationship, it just takes time. Friendships happen not because you schedule it in for 45 minutes or 30 minutes. You just sit. And you just talk. And you listen. And this is what God initiates. Jacob was so busy planning, running around, trying to get the next thing, trying to accumulate more, trying to get ahead, that he never just paused and acknowledged God. Psalm 46.10 tells us, be still and know that I am God. I love the translations, other translations. The NAS, cease striving. It's a stronger description, isn't it, than even be still in the ESV. Cease striving the net version says he says stop your striving and recognize that i am god stop your striving because it is in the midst of our busyness and our striving that we forget god i need to go and hustle and make money and do all these things and get ahead and do well in school i have to those are all good things but it's in the middle of it that we have to pause and if it is in our sleep that god has to come to us If he has to put us into a deep sleep, he will because God is so gracious and he approaches us. And this was the only time that he would have listened. God comes to him even when he doesn't call out to him. He puts him in a deep sleep. He says, okay, you need to stop. Let me talk to you. And when he talks to him as he approaches him, the second thing we see about God's grace is that it is about the God who keeps his word. This whole story. He comes to him and reminds him of this covenant that was made before, even before he was born. It says in verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. You see there is a capital L-O-R-D in the ESV. It's his proper name. It's his covenant name, Yahweh. He's identifying himself as the one who made the covenant. 
I am the Lord. And he reminds them of the Abrahamic covenant in verse 14. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He's talking about the covenant he made back in Genesis 12 to Abraham. And so what we see here is God keeps his word. God has been keeping his word to you even before you were born. You look at this. He's going back to Abraham. He's going back to Isaac. He's going back and now swearing on his own name. It's not because Jacob was so faithful. You know, the religion would say today, oh, Jacob was strong and he was industrious and he did so well, so God blessed him. God helps those who help themselves. And that's what the world would say. But this is the story of a crook who had zero merit, and yet God is saying, I've been working on you. Before you were born, you're a part of this program that I have. You're a part of the promise, the covenant. It is still going to happen. It is not dependent on you. It is dependent on God's goodness to us. You know, I remember, wow, you know, 22 years ago when we found out we were pregnant with uh, Carissa. And then we said, oh, we're going to have a child. We lived in La Mirada. We had this, our little three-bedroom condo. And... Um, you know, for the first few years of marriage, one room was like a guest room. And then one room was like the den, guy's room, whatever. Put posters up or whatever it was. And it was like, oh, kind of proud to have your own space. You feel like a real grown-up now. I have a room. Anyways, and then we was like, oh, my gosh, we're pregnant. We're so excited. Don't know if we're boy or girl yet. We're just going to have a child. So we go shopping, right? You know, somehow there's a correlation. Kid spending money, right? Like, okay, we're going to go shopping. So we started deciding, okay, it's this room. What are we going to do? And I remember, I don't know why, but at that point, we bought wallpaper that was supposed to be kid-friendly. It was all pastel, and it matched the blanket. It matched the covers on the crib, and uh, it was all like little dinosaurs. I don't know why we picked dinosaurs back then, right? But we picked it, and we set up the room, and we bought everything that the person at Babies R Us told us, you will need this when you have a baby. So we got everything, put it on. And we had parties and people gave us things. And I remember uh, we got the, the prize thing, the prize possession was the fanciest stroller they had at Babies R Us. And it was like $399 and you could take this part out and it collapses and it's real fancy. Right. It was all being prepared beforehand. It was all being, the parents are waiting beforehand. It was in, anyways, I was, as I was doing this, and I was like, I wonder how much uh, strollers are today, and I Googled it. Do you know Nordstrom sells a stroller for $1,600 today? I was like, thank God we had her, you know, back at, uh, you know, 20 some years ago. $1,600. And then the next story that popped up on my feed was, oh, this man robs this lady of her stroller. I would steal that stroller, too, because it was $1,600, right? Um, I'm like, wow. But it is a preparation that has been going on. And if we take it on a bigger level, God has been prepping our lives. It's not just you. It's not about your decision, your will, your choice, your obedience, you walking with God. You, it, God has been working on your life. And somehow you are at this juncture and he will continue. But you have to think. Before I was even born, God has been working and his program, his covenant is going to come. And so somehow you are here today. 
Somehow you are here singing praise songs, reading the Bible. You are at church today. And God has brought you up to this point, and we see that here. And God tells him, I am the Lord. And the covenant he started way back with Abraham, your grandfather, Isaac, your father. It's continuing through you in spite of your faithlessness. The gospel is humbling in this way. Because Jacob had nothing to say. You can imagine maybe him just jaws dropped saying, I deserve none of this. I didn't do my part in any of this. I've actually tried to ruin this. Satan has been using me to try to mess everything up. And now I am a sojourner. And God, you have come to me. So he looks at his past and he sees that God keeps his promises. Thirdly, God in his grace tells him that he is near. The God who is near. He tells him a promise that I am, he is near you and he will be near you in the future. It says in verse 15, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. If you were in Jacob's shoes, this would not be the message you would anticipate from God. Think of how humbling, comforting, these words are, I am with you and will keep you, Whatever you go, wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. He will keep us. He is with us. He is near us. It's interesting, right, because Jacob... God approaches Jacob twice, both times in his sleep, in a dream. The first time he's here, the second time is when he is done with his time with Laban and he comes back with Laban's daughters as his wives, and he's coming back and he now wrestles with God and his name is changed to Israel. The one who struggles with God. He says, I'm going to keep you. You're going to make it back. Here's a guy running with nothing, with an enemy after his life, not knowing what the future holds, and yet God says, I will be there in the future. Don't worry about this. Take a moment. Think about your own lives. Somehow God is going to watch over your life. He is with you here today. He is guiding you in his program. You know, when I, when I first came, when I was six years old and my parents immigrated to America, we landed in Oakland, California. Here's, I, Every, everyone at the school was African-American but me. Here's a picture of my class, if it comes up. No picture? Well, anyways, there it is. All right, good. It's hard to spot me. The yellow, bigger face guy and Miss Wong, my teacher, right? And everyone kept asking, is that your mom? No, right? Are you Chinese? No. I'm Korean. What part of China is Korea? No. Um, that's, what, that's what Oakland was. All right, you can take it down now. All right, thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, when my parents immigrated to Oakland, California, and I spent my elementary years there, you know, as a kid, life was great. I enjoyed myself. And they, they scrapped up, uh, scraped up a little bit of money, and they said, okay, we're going to... They sent me to a private 
uh, Christian school. Wore uniforms, the kids were more well off, it was supposed to be nicer. Now, they did not send me there with some intention of me getting a Bible education. They did not send me there thinking, oh, that'll be good. They just sent me there. It's supposed to be nicer. They had a little bit of money now in our grocery store. They saved a little money and they sent me. Here I am, never been to church or anything, and I get to this new school. I'm wearing my red cardigan, blue slacks, and I get there. And the first day of school, all the kids have to sit on the floor and they have praise time. I don't know what praise time is. Some of you, if you were new to faith and you came to church, you didn't know what praise time was. You know, like a cool concert. What is this? I didn't know. And the teacher, we had a teacher on the piano and a teacher that would come out and say, all right, boys and girls, everyone sit down. Calm down, calm down. We're going to sing now. We're going to have praise time. And they would ask the kids, the teacher would ask the kids, what song would you like to sing? There was only one song that I learned when I was going to school in Oakland at Sherman Elementary. And not being shy, first day of school, I put my hand up. Oh, Steve, the new one. Hey, yeah, what do you want to sing? This is is supposed to be Christian. I said, Yankee Doodle. I said, I want to sing Yankee Doodle. That's the only song I learned. And he goes, oh, son, we don't sing those songs. And the teacher on the piano is laughing at me. The kids are snickering at me. That's America. I want to sing Yankee Doodle. (laughs) And then we started singing this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. He's got the whole world in his hand. Started learning. Every day started with praise. One of the subjects we took was Bible. Learn the Bible. Friday nights, we all had to come to church. It was mandated. You had to come. Your parents had to come. That was kind of something I went to. Now, my parents had good intentions. My mom had great intentions, but... She did not think, oh, I'm going to send little Steve to pastoral ministry when he is a grown man and he could serve God better. That was not on the agenda. The agenda was, let's get him to somewhere that's supposed to be nicer, learn something better, a better environment. But somehow God in his plan had his hand on it and said, okay, I'm going to guide you along. You don't fully know what's going on, but you're going to go to the school. You're going to learn some Bible. You're going to learn these things. And he continued on. And God is the same with all of us. You don't know what you are going through today and why you did. The hardships you're going through, why you're going through it. But somehow God has his hand upon us and you. And he's saying, let's get it going. I have a plan. I am near you and I am guiding you through the valleys and the peaks. I am guiding you through this time. It's interesting because he had left his home. God is not bound by a location or a life stage. I love our family services because we have, you know, 13-year-olds and then parents and people who are older than even 13-year-old parents, and we're all in here together. In junior high, God has his hand on you. In high school, he has his hand on you. You can go off to college. It doesn't matter how far you go. You can go out of state as far as you go. God is near you. And he is working on your life. And you can say, oh, I have a new life stage. I'm working. I'm married. I am going to become a parent. I'm going to have this. I'm getting ready close to retirement. God's hand is upon you. Until he takes you home, he is near you. You know, the story that's in about God's approach to Elijah in 1 Kings 19 that we know. You know, God approaches him. 
first of all, in the form of a strong wind, it tells us. Um, in verse 11, And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broken pieces and rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, verse 12. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. In verse 13, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? A low whisper. Why does God show him the winds and the fire and the earthquake? Those things get our attention. Those things in, bring about fear in us. whispers you only whisper when you are in close proximity to someone you can whisper to the mic you can hear it you might whisper to a friend you might be at a movie say hey did you get any extra popcorn right or hey you know how many burritos are there then you could whisper but whispering means that someone is near and god whispered to elijah because he was near him he wanted him to feel him and experience him. And God is near to you. God's hand is upon your life. And whether you are faithful and trying your best or you are faithless and running away, God still says, I'm right there with you. And that's the picture that we see here. So here is a God who initiates contact with us, right? Here is a God who says uh, that he is close to us in this way. Uh, and secondly, here is a God who keeps his word and covenant. And all of this now, we say, is now found in our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who is near us. We say, let's call him Emmanuel, God is with us. Jesus Christ, our faith in Christ now, we see, is the one that he keeps his word. The one who is with us. Until the end of the ages, he tells us in Matthew 28, he is now the one who fulfills all of this to us. Jacob went through this and experienced the saving faith that will be seen in Christ ahead of time, and we experience it here today. Keep your faith in Christ. He is, the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 51, that he himself, Jesus says, that he's the ladder to heaven. So the dream that was happening was of Jesus Christ, that he is now the connection from earth to heaven, that this is our way there. He is our connection to us. This is God reaching out to us, and it is found in Jesus Christ. And so we keep our faith in him. You might be running away from God's will. You might be running away in your shame. You might be feeling as distant as uh, you've ever been towards God, but God is near you. This is the beauty of the gospel. He runs after those who don't deserve this. He keeps his promise to those who do not keep their own end. And he stays close through his son Jesus Christ. God is with us and so we put our faith in him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord we thank you and Lord we trust you. You are a God that chases us down and even has to make us pause in our sleep to get our attention. And today, maybe some of us, Lord God, uh, needed to hear this. And Lord, now we are reminded of this. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God who is with us, a God who keeps his promise, 
The God who initiates contact, you draw sinners to you. We don't run to you. You call us today. So, Lord, we take a time to take communion here today. We ask that you bless us in all that we do. Help us to remember you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just read this verse.